Welcome to The Disappearing Mind, a unique podcast helping you find clarity and support along your dementia journey. Now, join National Dementia Trainer and Coach Don Platt for an all-new episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you today and excited about today's session. This session here on the podcast today is kind of going to be a little bit different. I don't get the opportunity to talk to a lot of male caregivers. I'm going to take advantage of that today as I have a special guest with me today. Jeff Pogozelski is my guest today. And something I want to tell you about Jeff, he's a memory care director. Actually, Jeff is on my team and I don't have him on because he's on my team. I have him on because he has a passion about all things dementia and Jeff has a history. He had a father who had Alzheimer's disease and has since passed away. And his mother is currently dealing with dementia. I wanted to take the opportunity to have a real conversation with Jeff about caregiving as a son and from a male perspective. And I know that I don't want to be controversial here, but I think there is a difference. And I think Jeff is unique. I think he has a lot to bring to the table. So, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Excited today. I prepared some questions. So let's go ahead and get into it. I know that the listening audience always has a lot of questions. And I know that in my dementia coaching experience, men in general generally have a little bit different questions. And that's kind of the angle I want to take. But can you share a little bit about your family's journey with dementia, starting with your dad's experience and how your family had dealt with his Alzheimer's disease? Absolutely. So with my father on the front end of it, the family didn't really recognize, you know, you have that age old saying that, oh, as you get older, you know, your mind slows down, you start forgetting things. I'm one of six kids and throughout our entire life, my dad would have to spit out most of the kids' names before he got it right. So, you know, we just kind of laughed it off and said, okay, nothing, you know, nothing really unique here. But then once he started really forgetting our names, I was no longer his son, Jeff. I was his father. So if I walked into the room and said, hey, dad, how's it going? There was no response. If I said, hey, William, how are you? He'd get all excited. My younger brother became Jeff. My mom at the time was the other caregiver with me. My mom would have me do different things around the house or different things around the yard. Come to find out my dad was talking to my younger sister. So then my younger sister started calling me saying, you know, what is Chris doing? Dad's upset, blah, blah, blah. So I told her, no, that's actually me. And, you know, don't let dad know. Just leave it as Chris and I'll maintain, you know, the conversation that it's Chris. That way I could keep my relationship with him kind of as a father role. My mother became his mother and she struggled with that. Um, she thought of, you know, if all people, why couldn't he have just forgotten me? Why did I have to be his mother? She had resent uh, mm-hmm. representing that role. Yeah. Um, my oldest brothers and sisters really had no connection to it at all. When it came to my parents aging in healthcare because I worked in healthcare my life, it was an automatic that 
I would be power of attorney and I would handle everything. Obviously, I kept the dialogue open to involve my siblings. So that's kind of a little snippet right at the beginning of our journey. So, Jeff, are you the oldest child or where are you at in the lineup of the family? I'm the middle. I have, uh, yep, I have three above me and two below me. So okay. I start how the many, second. How many year. above you are sons and how many are daughters? Um, one son, two daughters. Okay. Okay. Yep. Now, in proximity, other than you worked in healthcare, in proximity, were you closer to them or the other children further away? Or was it just your occupational history that made you the main caregiver? Primarily being occupational part. My mother and I have an amazing relationship and we still do. Mm-hmm. So my older sister, my younger sister, and my younger brother um, literally live in about a 15 minute circumference around the family home. So they were around, but not around. Okay. So I know we've talked a little bit about your dad and that he has passed away, but he was diagnosed and then you cared for him at home and then he ended up passing away. Tell the audience a little bit about that. You know, and it's interesting because being the representative, it was automatic that they went to my mom and, you know, my mom knew what my mom knew. But in the direct hands-on patient care, I was the one toileting, bathing, cleaning when he became incontinent. My mother, of course, helped. But a lot of the structure of his day, the healthcare providers automatically assumed that that's mom's role or that's my sister's role. Men are looked upon as being able to be loving, nurturing, and being able to jump in with both feet when it comes to some of the activities of daily living, especially when it comes to, you know, toileting and showering. Well, you certainly fulfilled that role. That's very apparent. You're passionate. And I've seen both sides of the coin. Absolutely. Men are able to do that. If caregiving is something that they can do, obviously it really doesn't matter. So let's just talk about your experience caring for your dad at home. You actually moved in with him, correct? Yes, I sold my house and moved back into the family home. And what led to that? Like, at what point did you make that decision? My father was a brittle diabetic, and he would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, cook breakfast, and go to bed. And then he'd wake up again and cook breakfast and go back to bed. And he would wake up again and cook breakfast and go back to bed. My mom hurt him, but didn't necessarily know what was going on. The bathroom on the main floor of the house went out. There were some plumbing issues, so we had a full bathroom in the basement. And I was able to take him down the steps and able to get him you know, into the bathroom downstairs until the main floor bathroom was fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big thing because mom didn't have a problem with the medications and the meals and the companionship, it really bothered her. And she would always say, this is not what I signed up for. How long were your parents married? 42 years. Wow, 42 years. That can be very devastating for someone to accept, especially if they don't understand the whole situation. But your dad didn't die of Alzheimer's disease. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so... He was actually getting ready. He was in the hospital. He was getting ready to have a procedure. 
and that evening he had had dinner and he was uh he went to sleep went into cardiac arrest and that's how he left us okay well thank you for sharing that i know that yeah. must have been difficult with all of that that you had gone through with your dad and obviously you're a caring person and you care for both your parents how has that influenced your decisions and plans for your mom's care and her future tell us a little bit about mom kind of where she's at in her dementia and the influences how you're working through that sure so currently my mom still lives in ohio i am in florida we still maintain a phone conversation sometimes zoom conversation uh she was diagnosed in 2019 so right now she's presenting pretty well she still lives in independent living and able to function. My sister is currently the power of attorney and her primary mm-hmm. assistant. So it's a lot of phone conversations with my sister because my mom does want to move down here. My mom does want to live with me, which has me excited, of course. But mom's not the mom she was in 2019. Being isolated through COVID has completely changed her physically and cognitively. Yeah, she's aware of her surroundings. She'll remember some conversations, short-term and long-term. But the one thing that I've noticed specifically with her is going back to like my childhood or my teenage years. Mm-hmm. She's not recalling any of that. Okay. So it's so, like hearing you for the first time. Okay. So you made a good point, and I have seen this nationwide, is that People who had cognitive decline and were socially isolated in their routines or from family did experience a greater decline. Is that what you're saying about mom? Definitely. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you're in a unique position, Jeff, because you are a memory care director and you work directly with individuals who have dementia and their families. So what are some of the valuable lessons that you've learned that you're hoping to use or plan to use with mom and and the decisions that you make for her? Well, a lot of it right now is being her choice. She had changed her mind a few years back and had decided that she would move to the South, which she never wanted to before. Once a year at, at springtime, typically, she would spend two weeks at my house. The last time she spent time at my house while I was at work, I'd come home and she'd be on the floor. So thank God she wasn't hurt, but she was also not able to get up. So she sat on the floor for hours. He has a cell phone, gets the concept of a cell phone, doesn't use it, mm-hmm. uh, never charges it, but then gets mad because it never works. So family is key, whether it's your immediate family or an extended like spouse or, you know, significant other. At that time, I was lucky because I had a significant other who worked in memory care as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a tag team that physically we were able to take a look at. Being in, in the profession, I was lucky because I was able to take mom to work. So mom was able to volunteer in the independent living arena. She was able to volunteer in the assisted living and memory care arena. Mm -hmm. So that I felt fortunate because a lot of adult children have to quit their careers. They don't have the luxury 
of being able to bring mom and or dad into the work setting and use, you know, use their skills still and, and keep them social. Yeah. Yeah. So I always say, because my mother has dementia, that sometimes I'm an expert, but sometimes I can't see the forest for the trees. It becomes different when it's personal. Obviously, there's a lot of mixed emotions. Do you have that with your mom? I do. Every memory that I have that I cherish that's now gone, uh, it is heart-wrenching. You know, we look at our parents as our parents, and they will always be our parents, and they would always be in control and wisdom and a support network. We don't look at this as a reality. So with my father, I learned a lot on the front end of his memory loss, but what he held on to and using that to make new memories. And I'm doing the same thing now with my mother is it's just, you have to meet them where they are. You have to take a deep breath and have fun. There you go. Many families are facing the challenge of whether to care for their loved one at home or to look for an alternative such as an assisted living community or a full memory care community. Because you are a memory care director, this is kind of a twofold question. What has prompted you to decide to move your mom? Because we do know that transition can be difficult for someone who has dementia, any transition. So yeah. moving, obviously. <clears throat> and then secondly, what are the advantages for a family to choose a memory care community? Because we know that a community with great programming can be very beneficial to maintaining cognition in someone with dementia. Talk about that on both sides, as a son and mm -hmm. then as a professional. Right. Definitely as a son, I know because she's starting to fail physically, a community setting is better. It's uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She's still preparing meals. Now, I'm out of the picture. I know she's not creating well-balanced meals. Her diet is bad. So the advantage as a son is knowing that she'd have peers, she'd have structure around, even at the beginning to say, yeah, this is something I'd like to get involved in. And maybe this activity I don't want to get involved in. They're still able to jump in and be, oh, okay, well, you know, you're upset. Let me hold your hand or let's take a walk or I can help push a wheelchair. They have purpose. We're sitting at home pretty much isolated. They don't. TV is not a good companion. Sporadically, different programming, absolutely. But from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, that's just not a healthy lifestyle. It's not a healthy choice. She was very physical, very involved in the community. That's all stopped since COVID. And it hasn't been reintroduced because physically now she's not capable. She used to drive up until COVID, mm -hmm. she no longer drives and she doesn't like relying on other people. So she's kind of changed her approach on her involvement. The advantage I feel talking with my mother and my sister with moving her to say this community where wow. I am is that I'm part of the transition. She wants to be here. She is within that capacity. So on that front end, 
and time will tell. I don't know. On the front end, my ultimate hope is with me being here and still being a part of her life, that it's her choice going from one community to another community that we won't have that upset. Okay. All right. Well, let me say that since you have come to the memory care community in your role, you have embraced families. So share with us and share with our listeners, what are some of the emotional support structures and how do you help families? What is it you talk about? How can you support families who have loved ones in your memory care community? Really, it's identifying with that family member what exactly they're feeling, what they're processing, how they're processing it. Support groups are phenomenal. The Alzheimer's Association's phenomenal. I've always had family support in participating with the local chapters and being a part of the walk, fundraising. It's a huge avenue. Most recently now talking with families about podcasts, introducing them to other families who at one time had that concern Mm -hmm. and they've risen above it and moved past it. There's nothing like personal experience, able to share my life story with my parents. That's the biggest factor. Jeff, is there any difference? You have two parents impacted by Alzheimer's disease and now dementia in general. I I don't know that there's a diagnosis. Is there a difference in the relationship and caring for your dad and caring for your mom? What have you learned and what would you advise people? I mean, most people, it can be hard enough to have one parent, but, but you have two. And you also have a family history, right, yeah. uh, in your family. So how are you handling that? What would you tell people who are in a similar situation? Knowing your loved one, um, when it came to my father, my father was very mechanically inclined. So a lot of my interaction with him was anything to do with mechanics. I know what I know, but I would create situations and say, hey, Bill, this is what's going on. What do I do? How do I fix this? Where do I go with this? That was always a good icebreaker to start a conversation. My mother, it's the same thing. Knowing her likes and her dislikes and treating her as an individual, not a disease. They're still your mother. They're still still your loved one. We tend to get so caught up on looking so hard for all these symptoms instead of just living and accepting that moment for what it is and cherishing that moment. Absolutely. So how do you manage self-care, Jeff? How do you balance? You sold your home and moved in and now you're considering moving your mom to Florida, where does self-care come in? How do you do that? Mine is religious, so I'm very connected. I'm very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because of COVID, we're using technology. We're still on Zoom. We still have live classes. That is a big disconnect for me. Going for a walk, spending the time at the beach. I don't need to be in the water, but I love the energy of the water. It's very deliberate and you really, it takes some self-coaching. You have to take 
the moment for you and you have to exhale. Whatever that exhale looks like for you, sometimes for me, it's listening to music, which would be more on the meditative scale. Sometimes it's just sitting at the beach and watching the birds fly by, the waves rolling in, and just kind of taking that energy. But yeah, self-care is very important. Absolutely. So Jeff, as a professional, what strategies or advice, looking back on your situation with dad and now looking at mom, are there any particular things that you would advise a family to do or maybe not to do when it comes to their loved one? I mean, obviously your parents were different, mom, dad, but also different diseases. And we've talked about that, but is there anything in particular that you would have done differently or you would advise others to do? Yeah. I wish I would have paid a little closer attention on the front end with my father, recognizing the deficits before I moved in. Mom compensated for him. Oh my God, did she compensate for him? I had no clue how much hands-on care she was giving before I moved in. It was kind of like you go to mom and dad's house for a visit and it's like watching a skit on TV. It's almost like it was prepared um, mm -hmm. because company was coming. So don't harbor on it. Talk to, if you're focused on dad because dad is having the issue, talk to mom. Talk to other siblings and kind of compare notes and see where we're at. Beside of medical issues that could be causing it, definitely promote a routine medical examination. Get a neurology consult. When I stepped in, that was the first thing that we did. And we were just on the road with the neurologist mapping out dad um, when he had passed shortly after. With my mom, of course, her behaviors are totally different than my father's, is take a breath, try not to treat them like your children. And it's so easy to do because now you're the parent and you're in the front end of this where you're so used to laying everything out for your children and telling your children what to do and how to do, you have to remember, this is still mom, this is still dad. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to take away that independence. You don't want them to stop doing what they can do, even cognitively. Have the conversation. Give them some time to think about it. Learn if they have a specific diagnosis of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or mixed learn what those actually mean and how it can affect so that you're better able to say, okay, I know if this behavior comes up, I now know about this disease process that I can use this tool as a distraction, whether it be photos, whether it be music, whether it be just stuff that they can fiddle with that takes their mind away they're in a totally different space and the reasoning part is gone. So don't give up hope. Let them kind of do a reset, assist them through the reset, but give them all the dignity on the world. So Jeff, you're from a fairly <clears throat> good-sized family and in coaching, it's one of the things that constantly come up and I don't expect you to expose anything, but Certainly family dynamics can be impacted. Relationships can be impacted. 
in families, not everyone can care give some, and I think you shared this with me of your family was in denial or couldn't handle that. Can you talk a little bit about that in general and how you navigated that, how you feel about that? Because I know this dementia walk can destroy relationships and sometime for the short term and sometime for the long term. And dementia is impactful. It's a disease that has no respect or persons. Did you experience any of that? Do you see families that you work with? And what would you say to them? Yeah, I do. And I have experienced that. My oldest brother, great, great man, loves my parents. My parents love him. This is not his real house. And he had said point blank, like, I can't deal with this. I don't know how to cope with this. We've had conversations. He keeps it very simple interaction with mom. And he really pays attention to body language and facial expressions and tone of voice. And if mom's in a good mood, he's going to be his charming self to keep mom in that space. There's been times when it was the other way, when there were some behaviors and there was frustration, not remembering words or not being able to get their point across, where my brother's like, good luck and left. He lives in Nevada. So there's definitely a distance. So he was far removed from the day-to-day. My sister is Barracuda is her nickname. She is very focused on, okay, we know what this is, so now you need to fix it. And she's very focused on, but why, but why, but why? And she constantly questions that, that, well, just do this and it should fix it, or just do this and it'll fix it. And it's like, there's no fix. Yeah, it's painful. You're seeing your loved one slip away right before your very eyes. My youngest brother is the farthest removed. Whereas my father, he stayed away. He couldn't handle it. And with dad's passing, he had a lot of guilt. And he's doing the exact same thing with my mom. As we progress forward, the less he's involved, he just he doesn't have that coping mechanism at all. So ironically, it's my younger sister, me, and my older sister as the primary support. My oldest sister lives in Vegas. She just kind of takes the, yeah, whatever, should be in California, like a you know surfer dude. But she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And she just rolls with it and just enjoys whatever moment we have. So I discussed this on the podcast the other day, and I was telling the audience what I felt like a caregiver needs, or maybe words that can be said or spoken or a card or a phone call or a text. So for you in that role, what could they say or do, even if they're not caregivers, even if they're out of the picture, what could they say or do to show their appreciation or tell you they're so glad that you're the one caring or that they appreciate you? What would you tell people in the role of your oldest brother and maybe your youngest brother, what could they do to support you? I mean, you obviously have a disconnect because of that, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of hard to describe to relatives and siblings who are not in the main caregiving role, what's going on, the degree. I generally give generalities. Yeah. How about you? The one that I use with my youngest brother all the time 
is it's as simple as even just sending a card. It's as simple as calling mom on her cell phone and leaving a voicemail. The family knows mom typically doesn't answer the phone. Half the time she can't hear it, but there's an alert. And with my sister, the primary caregiver being involved, that's a game changer. The one thing my mom had said to me that's very painful is how the boys have stepped away. They don't treat her like mom. They don't get as excited to be with mom that they used to. She's very much aware of that. And sometimes it's greater than others. Any kind of connection is a beautiful thing. That'll go a long way with your loved one, especially with something as simple as just mailing a card. Absolutely. It's so important, can really make a difference. And even if something is in their perception, you Mm -hmm. know, we have to work at trying to change the perception of how they're feeling. So Jeff, were you interested in dementia prior to your father having it? And how has both of your parents changed your perspective on dementia as a disease and the importance of educating others about the disease? How has that all impacted you? From the very beginning, I started off as a nursing assistant uh, when I was 18 years old. I took medical assisting, and my end-of-the-year's thesis was on Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, we're taking a look at Alzheimer's and dementia back in 1993, and a lot of it still holds true, but boy, have we come a long way, and boy, have we learned a lot. So it has always been, I've always loved seniors, so... At the front end, I wanted to be a nursing home administrator. Now, back then in the 90s, nursing was very much uh, Florence Nightingale. Coming out into the professional world, I was so excited and eager. And over time, practices have changed, not necessarily for the worse. It just the reality and just the general structure changed significantly throughout the course of all my tenure. I've always been involved with seniors, primarily with Alzheimer's and dementia. That just captivated me from a very young age, high school, how powerful the brain is and how much we're not using, how much we don't know, and to see if there would be a cure within our lifetime or Mm -hmm. a better treatment within our lifetime. It's always kept me engaged. It's always kept me on the learning path. You look at your greats and throughout my greats, whether great grandparents, great, you know, grandparents, great aunts and uncles back then it was, oh, you know, it's just part of being old. They didn't really call it dementia, but they called it dementia, not to the extent that we use it today with more of a scientific knowledge behind it. With my mom and dad, I never thought I'd be taking care of them. They're your parents. They're Superman, Superwoman. It just never crossed my mind that this would ever happen. On the front end, with my father, I did struggle because he was always the rock and the logical one, and he was very smart. You could always go to him for the answer. I mean, I like the answer, but you could always go to him, and he would never steer you wrong. Just through the course of life and my own maturity and being around it, I've really learned that 
it's becoming a very natural part of our reality. More and more people are afflicted every year. And the reality is you make the best of every moment. We're on borrowed time. So it's no different than getting any other diagnosed disease at all, other than the memory loss. So you cherish life and you hold on to life and you fight for life. Absolutely. That's a great philosophy, Jeff. And thank you for sharing that. So when you look back now on your dad, you obviously admired him. You admire and respect both your parents. Do you think your caregiving style would be different as a son than a daughter? I just only note that I deal mostly with daughters or daughter-in-laws. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. But is there anything that you would do differently? With my father, I wish I had spent more time talking about his past, especially at the beginning, learning more about his culture and his family dynamic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of staying so focused on the present and the future, I wish I had a little stronger roots that I can grab onto. Oh, wow. That's that's very, very interesting. And I think that's really good advice. Is there any way anyone else could give you that kind of history? So my dad's brother, who's also a nurse, we have a great relationship. He's able to plug in going back to my great-grandmother, his grandmother. I knew my great-grandmother. I was old enough to remember her. She didn't speak a lick of English. As a child, I didn't recognize that. He's able to piece in, before my dad got married, a period of time and what that looked like. So that's very helpful. That's great. So Jeff, before we close today, I know that you are passionate about dementia care. You are passionate about supporting families and you are new to your role at the memory care community where you are. Mm -hmm. But tell me some special things about your program and why you think that memory care programs make a difference. The biggest part is meeting them where they are, having the tools with repetition that keeps their mind active in a positive way, being able to be a part of their life and invite the families in to make a new memory. Mm -hmm. But the technology that we have today and the whole concept of keeping their dexterity and physical movement and trivia in a fun way, it's a game changer, game changer. So many people dismiss people because they're in a wheelchair that they can no longer do stuff. So not true. So not true. They're still able to stand. They're still able to maybe lift their leg up and do some very light exercise. They're still able to use their fingers doing sewing with a shoelace, painting, still so creative. Let their creative juice flow. Enjoy it. Absolutely. I love it. I love it, Jeff. Well, thank you for joining me today, Jeff. I say to the listening audience, I hope that our conversations today have been useful to you, have been inspiring to you, and that you can relate to the discussion that we've had today. So until next time, thank you for joining the podcast. This is Dawn Platt. Make it a memorable day. Thank you for joining us for the Disappearing Mind podcast. 
We hope it's helped you find clarity and support along your journey. Be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode, visit our website to suggest future topics, and share the podcast with friends and family.